Uh, I am really stoked that we get one Sunday a year, the youth ministry gets a Sunday a year to really kind of showcase, man, how God is using uh, our students here at Redemption Chapel uh, and really what God's doing uh, in the youth ministry here at our church. So I'm glad that we get that opportunity. I know things look uh, a lot different. Uh, Did you guys see any of the picketers uh, on the sidewalk? They're not picketing, I promise. They're just welcoming you here today. Some fresh faces at the door. And now some new guy standing up here acting like he's about to teach. All of those things are true. Like I said, buckle in. It's, it's, we're, uh, we're getting there. I am grateful for the opportunity to teach you guys today. I'm excited to open God's Word and really share with you some things that I feel like God's been showing me through His Word that I want to share with you today. But before I get too deep into that, I want to share with you some stuff about me, because I know a lot of you may not know me, uh, just so we can get to know each other a little bit better real quick. So my name is Alan. I'm the youth ministry director here. Uh, Alex and I kind of tag team the ministry, and we love it. Man, students are our passion. We're representing our youth fam today. Can we give it up for our youth fam? They're down in the overflow room. I roped off a section because that's what you do with wild animals, right? You put them over, like you rope them off. I'm sure they're down there being extra rowdy, masked on, of course. So uh, I am glad that I get to work with them. I love hanging out with students, love uh, seeing. Oh, nice, nice, we did. Is that... Wow, that's crazy, man. They really are shouting down there. I have no idea what that is. That's really scary. Um, wow, I told you, wild animals. Uh, so I love getting to work with students, getting to see the Lord really shape their life, to get them to see, to see them be transformed by the gospel and really to, to influence their community. I love seeing that. I'm really fortunate enough that I get to do this as a job. It's what I do every day, uh, and I am really lucky to do that. Uh, here's a picture of my family. Uh, that's my wife, Johanna, and my three kids, Ariel on the right, Bella in the middle, and then I'm holding Liam there. If you ever, that might've been my kids screaming out there in the, I don't know. Uh, they do scream a lot. So, um, those are my kids. Maybe you can connect some dots of, of who I am. Maybe you've seen my family, uh, around here for a while. Uh, so like I said, that's a little bit about me and why it's so chaotic, uh, in here today. Uh, but now I am excited to kind of open up God's Word and really share with you some things that He's been working in my life through uh, His Word. And we're going to continue the series that we started about a month ago called Letters from Dad. And in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at these two books, really two letters, First and Second Thessalonians, that Paul wrote to the church uh, in Thessalonica, the Thessalonian church. And we're looking at these two letters through a lens of how a dad would talk to or, or write to his children. Because I think that's what we're looking at. We're seeing Paul, this spiritual father, to the Thessalonian church, this church that he has birthed, and now he's writing to them. And we get the opportunity to read that. Now chapters 1 through 3, kind of as, as far as we've gotten up to this point, have all been focused on Paul kind of reminiscing and thinking about the time that he was there with the Thessalonian church, thinking about all the good attributes they had and all the things that they're doing. And Paul is kind of encouraging them in that. When we hit chapter 4, Paul uses the word finally. You know, it's kind of like a preacher who preaches like really long and they say finally, you know they're halfway through. Paul is saying finally... And then he kind of rolls into this next section of the letter where he really kind of contemplates the present state and also the future of the Thessalonian church. So he's kind of working through not what he has remembered, but what he's pushing them forward to. And just like a dad, 
He wants what's best for them, and so he's going to give them some really strong advice here in the next uh, eight verses. How many of you guys have kids in this room, even if they're grown and out of the house? We, we do this. I do this for my kids all the time. We give strong advice. One part of my routine every single morning is that I make a cup of coffee. Now, I'm a little bit of a coffee snob. Our staff team knows that. I won't drink the curing. I make a pour over every morning. It's part of my routine. Sometimes I think making the coffee is just as fun as drinking the coffee, but I measure out the bean, I use a scale, I measure out the water, and in this process, I have to boil water. Now, I'm not here to tell you how to make the perfect pour-over. I'd love to have that conversation, though. I'm, I'm telling you, I can help you figure it out. I'm here to tell you that boiling water is really hot. Does everybody know that? It's really hot. And my kids are often standing there with me at my little coffee bar in my kitchen, and they're standing there with me and say, Daddy, what are you doing? And it says, Daddy's making coffee. And they know that there's a boiling kettle of water. And so just this past week, I looked down at Ariel and I said, Ariel, it's really hot. Like this kettle is really hot. Don't touch the boiling water. I gave her strong advice. Another area this comes up in my life with my kids is when we walk through parking lots. My kids know it's like this universal rule that they cannot walk on any large piece of pavement without holding mommy or daddy's hand. And even when they are holding my hand, I remind them, why are you holding daddy's hand? And Ariel Bell, they'll say, parking lot. <laughs> it's like their keyword. They know if I'm in a parking lot, it means that I'm holding mommy or daddy's hands. And if they don't, they know that they will be in big trouble if they don't hold my hand as we walk through a parking lot. And remember, the church that Paul is writing to is a young church, just like my kids. You saw them, they're young. Uh, though I have two, my twins will be three in February and Liam will be two in May. So young kids, right? They don't know necessarily the dangers of a parking lot. And the church that in Thessalonica is a young church as well. Not made up of believers who are mature in their faith just yet. We have seen, though, in the first two chapters, they are full of passion. They're full of kindness and love. They're full of faith. They're definitely full of influence because we can see how the Thessalonian church is, is shaping their community. And just like all of us, they aren't perfect. And so what Paul is going to address for the Thessalonian church today is a flaw that he has noticed uh, it's happening in their church. He notices that they don't walk through parking lots while holding hands. Of course not, right? What Paul is going to address today, he hasn't seen firsthand, but rather has gotten a report back from Timothy. So Timothy went to the Thessalonian church. He, he kind of observed what was going on, and now he's come back to Paul, and he's let Paul know that there is a sin happening in the church. And so these first eight verses of chapter four point out this sin of sexual immorality or sexual purity, however you want to say it. So yeah, go figure, right? They picked the youth guy to come up here and talk to you guys about sex. I told you to buckle in, all right? So the sin he's pointing out has to do with sexual purity, and uh, I think we would like to think that sin or sexual sin is worse today than it has ever been. I think there's a lot of knowledge. We get to, we know a lot of things that are happening in our world uh, from human trafficking. Uh, we get to see, man, the ease of access to pornography that happens all across our world, the array of sexuality that's portrayed in movies, uh, in TV, and all of that stuff. But I think if we look back uh, and look at the Old Testament, there's some pretty crazy stories of sexual sin, some wild stories. I think if you, if you read them, you might not believe them, but they're true. And I think sexual sin it was, was, is prevalent today, and it was just as prevalent uh, back then, even before uh, the time of Jesus. Paul doesn't just address sexual sin to the Thessalonian church. He addresses it in several of his letters. 
One of the most, kind of the biggest addresses that I, I found was in 1 Corinthians 5, where he talks about how if there's someone in the church that is bound by sexual immorality, to not even associate yourself with that person. It had gotten really bad. Sexual sin had gotten really bad in some early churches. Like I said, I think it is perceived as worse today for a few uh, different reasons. You know, I think we would like to think that these beautiful things in our pockets, these smartphones, are like the best thing that's ever happened to us. They keep us connected. They keep us smart. But I work with your teenagers, all right? These things are the worst form of addiction that our society is facing. I've seen it firsthand. I know, like, I watched a documentary a few weeks back, and man, I realized the addiction in myself to, uh, that I have to my phone. And I think a lot of that pushes in to really sexual sin in our world and in our society today. You know, one of the reasons that the Thessalonian church was facing this particular issue is because they're new to the faith. And the pagan religions that they had been involved in in the past actually promoted a sense of sexual license or sexual exploration. They encouraged it. And so they're doing something new. Following Jesus for them is something new. And we know that when you do something new, it doesn't always pan out right the first time. I actually have been challenged recently to try something new. Uh, last night, even in this room, there was uh, the gospel-centered parenting event, and Jared Lopes, our speaker, challenged us to do something. A few weeks ago on our staff team, we were around kind of discussing, and I really felt challenged to be more hospitable to our, my neighbors. If you live in my neighborhood, I'm really sorry. I'm not that hospitable, but I'm working on it. And this past uh, week, uh, one of my neighbors, his name is James, uh, him and I share a property line, and there's a tree on our property line that is dead. It's been dead for a couple years. It hangs over my kid's swing set, so not a very good situation. I've been working with James to get it cut down, and I told him, I'm a very much do-it-yourself kind of guy. So I was like, I got a chainsaw. You got a chainsaw. Let's do this. But James has been sick. Uh, he thinks that he might have COVID, and so I was texting him, and I said, hey, man, I want to bring dinner to your house. I want to get like pizza delivered to your house because I told you I've been convicted myself. I've been working towards being more hospitable to my neighbors. So I get the info. I send it to my wife. It was this Wednesday, which you guys know if you have a middle schooler. I'm here all Wednesday night hanging out with your kids. And uh, so I told him it would be there at 530. At 6:30, I get a text from my wife, a screenshot, and, and the screen the text read, Hey, this is PJ. Thanks so much for the pizza. We haven't met yet. And I thought. PJ's not my neighbor. James is my neighbor. I pulled the address real quick. I texted James. I realized that I had sent the pizza to my neighbor's neighbor. I'd sent it to the wrong address. So I got my neighbor here who I've tried to build a relationship with, who is currently sick. His daughter's sick. I promised them dinner. It's an hour past when I promised them dinner was going to be there, and they are pizza-less. So then I order more pizza. So my $30 pizza order turned into $60. It cost me a little more. I was super embarrassed. But the point of this is to show, like, when you're doing something, even if it's something that Jesus has called you to, which I feel like being hospitable is something that I'm working on, it, it, it doesn't always work out right the first time. And for the Thessalonian church, it's not working out. There's a little bit of a learning curve as they begin to follow Jesus. And so what they do is as they begin to follow Christ, they realize that they cannot pursue the sexual pleasures that they had previously been encouraged to. It's something different. It's something new. And honestly, this idea of being influenced by our culture as the Thessalonian church was dealing with, I think is a problem that we are facing today and that society has faced and the church has faced for a long time. 
we are so easily influenced by our culture, by the things that happen around us. If you take Christian morality out of our society today, take out the Bible or, or any kind of code of morality, if you take it out, our society says, sleep with whoever you want to. Porn, it's fine. Indulge yourself. Do whatever you want to do. That's what our society tells us. And we are so much more easily influenced by society than we are by the Word of God. And I think that's the same thing that the Thessalonian church is dealing with right now. I was, as I was going through this, I looked up what one of the top trending songs in America is right now because I wanted to see just how influenced we are. Top trending, one of the top trending songs in America is called WAP by Cardi B. All right? They can't even say what WAP stands for because they wouldn't be able to like, non-explicitly say the title of the song. If you haven't listened to it, I would encourage you not to listen to it. Just know all right, what our culture is trying to influence us with is not good. And the Thessalonian church was dealing with the same thing. The church has been dealing with it for centuries. That we need to be more positively influenced by the word of God and the teachings of Christ than we do by our society. Here's the point. Sexual sin is prevalent now. You would all agree with me on that. Sexual sin was just as prevalent then. And Paul is calling the Thessalonian church and us today to live in a way that reflects God's glory. To live in a way that pleases God, that reflects his glory. And so while the passage that we're going to read today does specifically point at sexual sin, I want to kind of pull two areas. Because I think if we can recognize and work with these two areas, it will help us live in a way that will reflect God's glory. The first one is our sinfulness, and the next one will be our sanctification. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 together. It says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Paul gives his spiritual kids some strong advice, just as I do to my kids and just as you may do to your own. He says that you need to follow these instructions that I've given you. These instructions are good. They're not for no reason. These instructions are for you to live a life that is pleasing to God, that you can live a life that pleases him. And I think ultimately we have this struggle within us. That we make choices based on whether we want to please God or whether we want to please ourselves. And I think at the deepest level, the reason that we sin, the reason that we do wrong things, whether it's sexual sin or anything else, is because we want to please ourselves more than we want to please God. And I think that being pleasing to God is most evident when God's interest are our primary ambitions. They are the things that we seek after, that we run towards, are God's interest. We please God when what He wants is far more important to us than what we want for ourselves. It's not what job do I want. It's what job does God want me to do, does God have for me. It's not what do I want my finances to look like. It's what does God want my finances to look like. Where does He want me to invest? Where does He want me to give? It's... Um, we please God by being obedient and submissive to his rules and his priorities. And when we don't, just like the Thessalonian church, we're sinning. And Paul is saying to his spiritual kids, he says, I'm asking, I'm urging, I'm telling you like a dad to their kid, live according to these instructions I've given you. Because if you do, you will please God. And look, he says, 
just as you are doing. He's saying you're doing a good job, just like a dad would encourage their kid. You're doing a good job, but do so more and more and more. Keep working, keep striving, keep going towards these instructions. And he doesn't just do this simply out of his own authority. There at the end, looks, he says, we gave you through the Lord Jesus. He puts the weight on Christ. He's saying, I'm not just telling you because I think it's right. I'm telling you because Christ is the one who is telling you as well. This is for his church. It's like a dad trying to convince his toddler, I'm in this stage right now, that peeing in a toilet is so much better than peeing in their diaper, right? Or like a dad who's got a teenage driver in the house, and they're trying to convince them that, hey, obey the rules of the road. Don't speed. Don't be crazy. Don't run red lights, right? Obey the rules. Or like a dad who's got a college kid who's getting their first job, and the dad says, hey, listen, they said they would match that 401k donations. You should probably take them up on that. You should really think about them. I know retirement's a long way off, but you should really consider it if they're going to match. Now, do the kids have a choice in those scenarios? Sure. It's really awkward to go to middle school cheer tryout in a diaper. Whatever. Like, if you want to wear a diaper, that's fine with me. Or what about when the teenager has to pay their first speeding ticket out of their allowance? Not fun, right? Or when that uh, college kid reaches their 60th birthday and you're like, dang, I should listen to dad about retirement. And uh, it's probably too late at that point. They have a choice. And Paul wants them to realize their sinfulness and to not just push it to the side. He wants them to do something about it. And that's why he's calling them to sanctification. And that's what God is calling them to as well. Now, before we read this next passage, I have a question. And now I work with students. I work with teenagers. And I need, respond, I need like an audible response. Because I know students will be sleeping or, or texting or eating something or poking something. So I need audible response because I need to know you're engaged. So I'm going to ask you a question. And uh, we'll see if we can get out. Are you guys ready for an audible response? Yeah. All right. Have you ever, now hold on, before I give you the question, I'll give you two answers. I'll give you, it's one, one or the other. It's either yes or no. All right. 50-50 chance. You could go ahead and predetermine your answer and just shout it if you want to. Have you ever wondered what the will of God is? That was weak. That was pretty weak. All right. Have you ever wondered what the will of God is? Yeah. yeah. All right. Me too. All right. Let's read this passage. For this is the will of God. Did you catch that? Ding, 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 ding. Your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of the lust like Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. This is God's will. Your sanctification, our sanctification. That word sanctification, when I looked it up in the Greek, it means a process. This process of making or becoming holy or set apart is specifically aimed at a process. There's other words used in the text that mean something similar, but this word is means of the process. It's not an event. It's not a moment of time. It's not this one thing that happens. It's this time-consuming process that happens over some period. And it is in this process where I think we realize a few different things. The first thing that we realize in this process is that we realize that our passions are there to please God. 
That's the charge that Paul gave the Thessalonian church, that live by these instructions in order that you may please God. And that is what we realize in this sanctification process. I think we all have things that we are passionate about. I hope you have something in your life that you're passionate about, whether it's Christ or something secular or whatever it is. One thing that I am super passionate about is Volkswagens. Now, if you guys notice some young kid driving through here in an obnoxiously loud Beetle, that's me, sorry. If you're my neighbor, I am truly sorry because I left the house at like 5.30 this morning. Uh, so yeah, I am super passionate about Volkswagens. Now, I could let that passion consume me. I could spend all of my money on fixing up and restoring a Volkswagen. I could spend all of my time in the garage working. I could neglect my family and only think about restoring my Volkswagen. I could just let it consume me because it's a passion of mine. It would be easy enough to let it consume me. Or I can use my passion for Volkswagens and for cars in general to glorify God. I want you to put your passion in that, in that line. I can use my passion for whatever your passion is to glorify God. If I can use a Volkswagen to glorify God, you can use your passion, all right? I'm telling you. This happened actually just a few weeks ago. There's a, a kid in our high school ministry who had a car and it was broken. He didn't want to take it to the shop. He didn't have a ton of money. And so I invite him, hey man, just come to my house. We'll pull it in the garage. We'll work on it. And it was a beautiful chance to just sit down and work on a car. It wasn't a Volkswagen, unfortunately. But to work on a car and to ask him, hey man, what's, what's the future look like for you? How is God working through your life in this season? What's God doing for you? You know, I got to talk with him about Christ. And I think, man, God can use our passions in a similar way in your life. It's in this process that we realize that our passions are not just about us. They are there to please God. Now, the Thessalonian church had a passion. Their passion was for sex. And it was, they were known for that in, their pagan, in the, the pagan religions of the time. They were pursuing that. And so Paul, through biblical instruction and in an urge for holiness, he challenged the Thessalonian church to not let their sexual desire and their lust control them or consume them just as easily as I could let any of my passions consume me. That God had called them to holiness, not impurity. And so they had a choice, just like the kid who's investing in their 401k. They had a choice. They could choose to let their passions be fulfilled in their spouse, or they could choose to let their passions be fulfilled in anything else, in whatever else they wanted to. And so in this process, we realize our passions are not just for ourselves. They uh, are to please God. It's also in this process that we realize that our sin affects more than just ourselves. We start to put things in place to move away from sin and in obedience towards holiness. And we realize, man, our sin does affect more than just ourselves. Paul warns the Thessalonians about it. He says, in your sin, you can uh, offend your brother. You can wrong your brother in this matter. And our sins are no exception. When a spouse is unfaithful in marriage, does it, just, does it affect just the spouses? No, it affects the whole family. When you are known for being someone who doesn't tell the truth, who lies, does that affect just you? No, it affects everybody around you who now don't, don't believe you, even when you do tell the truth. Or one that can be truly convicting to me is when you yell at your barista for not making uh, your coffee the right way. And then they see you walk out, you plop down in your car, and there's that little R sticker on the back. They don't want to go to our church anymore. Our sins affect the people around us. We also realize this, that God is the one who longs for our holiness. Did you see that in the passage? He says that uh, God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. That God desires sanctification in our lives. He wants that for us. Because God is our Father. 
And just like a good father, he knows what's best for us and he wants what's best for us. He wants us to live a life that is full of this process of sanctification. Now, to help kind of demonstrate that, I want to bring up a couple of my students uh, to kind of help work through this process. I'm going to bring up Julia and Cole. Can we give it up for Julia and Cole? Come on up here. All right, Cole, this is the second time through, so I'm just going to have you stand here and Julia about six feet in front. Maybe take a little step back. I don't measure very well. All right. So Cole is going to represent for us someone who has just come to faith in Jesus. They've just placed their faith in Jesus. They know a little bit about God, about how holy God is, about how perfect he is, uh, about the things that God has called them to do, about the right things that he's called them to do. Julia is going to rec- uh, is going to be the one, who, I can't think of the word, is going to be the one who represents God's holiness. I picked the best student I could find, you know, for God's holiness, perfection, all right? So that's what Julia is going to represent for us. Now, in this process of sanctification, what we see is that at the beginning, we know some stuff about God. But as we read our Bible, as we're in community with other believers, as we're under the pastoral teaching of our pastors here at our church, we learn some new things about God. We learn some, some new things that God has called. Just like for the Thessalonian church, they learned that God had called them for holiness, not impurity. And so what happens is what we know about God changes. His, his holiness does not change. God is always perfectly holy. But what we learn about him, what we know about him changes. Now, Cole, I'm just going to have you stand there because you're going you're to represent an unholy person, right? the person who is from the very beginning. I'm going to represent this process of sanctification. So as I learn about sin in my life, I work to get rid of that sin. I learn that lying is wrong, that I should not lie, that I should be someone who is full of truth. And so I practice that. I put up guardrails in my life. I get people in my life to hold me accountable for lying. They, they ask me all the time, have you been truthful? And I say, yes, I've been truthful. And so I put, that, um, I put in those guardrails to um, not have lying as a sin in my life. And so now I've moved from where I was to where I am. But now I learned something new about God. Go ahead and move forward one more step, Julia. I learned that God has not just called me to be truthful, but it's called me to be someone who is full of integrity, who is full of all kinds of integrity in every area of my life. All right, so now my standard has moved. I work on things in my life. I try to be, have more integrity. I try to, in all areas of my life, and I, get a, I work that out. I'm able to kind of fulfill integrity, and I take a step towards holiness or towards sanctification, this process. But now I mess up. I realize that there is a portion of my life that is not full of integrity. I'm, I'm actually not being truthful, and so I take a half step back. I work through it. I take another half step forward. Well, now I learn, like I've been recently convicted of, that God has called me to evangelize, to be hospitable to my neighbors. And I do it. I buy a pizza, all right? It went to the wrong house, all right? I buy another pizza. And yeah, Julia, you can go take another step forward. The standard of God's holiness, it moved, not because he changed, but because my understanding of him and my convictions of him have changed. And we do this. This can go on and on and on. I I perfect something in my life. I take a step. So does God's holiness. I mess up. I half step back, half step forward. And this is what that process looks like. And I think at times we can get frustrated We can say, man, God has called me to perfection. I keep sinning. There's a sin I keep dealing with. I keep messing up. And we get frustrated that we have not reached this standard of holiness that God has called us to. And I think in those moments, what we have to do is we have to pause and we have to look back and we say, man, I've got a long way to go, but I sure have come a long way. 
And I think in those moments we can be encouraged that God is working in us, that he is changing our lives and helping us to be more sanctified. Can we give it up for Julia and Cole? And that is what the process looks in our life. I've come a long way, but man, I still have a long way to go. Here's the big thing I want you to take away from today's sermon. That through recognizing our sinfulness, not just recognizing and stopping, recognizing our sinfulness and doing something about it, pursuing sanctification, pursuing God's holiness, that God is changing us from who we are right now in this very moment to who God wants us to be. That is pleasing God. That's putting God's priorities above our own, letting God change us for who he wants us to be, not who we want to be ourselves. And Paul urged the Thessalonian church, live in a way that pleases God, not just in a way that pleases yourself, and to actively pursue this process of sanctification as you let your lives reflect God's glory. Now, I'm not sure where you're at in this line, Maybe you're like not even on the line. Maybe you're like, I need to be where Cole was. I need to place my faith in Jesus for the first time. I want to begin that process of sanctification. I would encourage you to do that, to begin that, to really see, man, I want to know about God and his holiness, and I'm going to work towards that, not for my own gain, but for obedience to God. Maybe you feel like you're on the other end, like you've almost gotten there, or you are where Julia was, and you feel like, I've got this figured out you're wrong, all right? None of us, none of us, no matter how hard we try, will ever reach a a position of perfection. It just will not happen. And if you ever feel like you've gotten there, that there's no sin you're dealing with, that there's no wrong that you do, I would encourage you to open up God's word. I would encourage you to ask your spouse. They will let you know, all right? I would encourage you to ask people around you, hey, what's a flaw in me? What's something that, that I really need to work on that God can change in my life? I would encourage you to do that. Now, I imagine most of us are somewhere in the middle. And for you, I want to encourage you, pursue sanctification. Recognize your sinfulness. Learn more about God and put things in place to get rid of sin and run towards holiness. That is my encouragement. That is my charge for you today. And to that end, I want to pray. God, I do thank you for your love for us, for your desire, your call on our lives to be sanctified. And God, to do that, we must recognize our sinfulness, recognize the wrongs that we do. And God, I pray that every one of us in the room, whether we are starting a relationship with you today for the first time or recognizing that we don't have it all together or somewhere in between, I pray that we'd recognize our sinfulness, that we would pursue holiness and sanctification in our lives, that it would be something that we are known for. God, we pray that over everyone's life in this room, and we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.